got to keep them guessing. People can't know our schedule. That's a good point. But we're, I think we're, uh, we're uh, dating ourselves on this episode, but we're talking. Yeah, well, not the intro. Right now, someone's confused. Yeah. Okay. That's what you want. Yeah. Ham- hamburger. Hamburger. I'm gonna keep them on their <laughs> on hamburger. Their t- on their hamburger. Couldn't have said it better myself. <clears throat> so, last week I talked about gimmick podcasts, and now all I can do is think of gimmick podcast ideas, including a gimmick podcast where we talk about The Rock. Oh, the movie. The movie. Uh huh. I don't know if we'd go. So that's what we're talking about from now on. Minute just by the rock. Minute, uh, mm. I mean, right now, that's probably at the top of my brain. So I wanted to bring it up with you. Do you remember The Rock? Uh, yeah, I remember. A, you know, when did it come out? Ninety six, I want to say. So fourteen, I guess, about the age that India is, right? Yeah. It also has driven home the idea that there's too much content and so the rock oh of course feels like you might as well ask people if they've seen casablanca you know it's Mm -hmm. there's no staying power and a 1996 movie feels like why would i ever watch that how would i ever come across the rock yeah and that's a good point like most people i don't know if i was like 15 today and loved movies, how I would find stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, all the lists just recycle the same, like, and like best horror movies. Mm-hmm. You're not getting variation there. And how we would find movies, which is, like, go to Hollywood Video mm-hmm. and just look through all the shelves and pick something that looks interesting or has a interesting actor. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you don't do that anymore. Right. And there's too many films made. Like, you couldn't... I would love to see a Hollywood video today. I mean, <laughs> you would walk in and probably start tripping over mm-hmm. DVDs. Because there's just too just much... Just be laying on the floor. Exactly. They would just be scattered everywhere. Yeah. Um. So, I wanted to watch something, like, dumb, fun. So, I sh- decided to show Indie the Rock. Yep. And... He immediately spoiled the immersion. Just completely like ripped the band-aid off on the film and just made it made me notice the either either the intricate plot and writing and intentional you know, movement of the plot or the completely insane like it says two things at once mm-hmm. and no one was paying attention. They're like, yeah, just have yeah we'll run with this draft what it feels like is somebody had two drafts of the movie fell and the two drafts got mixed up the and, then they, <laughs> and then they just kind of <laughs> shuffled them together and yeah. kept running right um that's what they went with but the basic plot is ed harris is a military like special ops commander and he's lost men under his command over 20 years running these illegal operations Mm -hmm. and now he wants 
America to recognize the men and give their families payments, which they do not get because it's all, you know, illegal operations, right? right? So the families don't get paid out or anything like that. So what he decides to do is to take over Alcatraz, which had 81 tourists at the time. Mm -hmm. So he takes them as hostages and he sets up some chemical weapons to fire into San Francisco. If he's not paid $100 million, Mm -hmm. he wants a hundred million dollars to pay out to the families and then use the rest to escape. And I think he says there's like 80 people that need payment. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's the setup. Mm-hmm. Immediately, Indy just goes, pay him the money. <laughs> right. And in the movie, Ed Harris says he wants to be paid by a specific account. Uh-huh. And the account is actually the slush fund that the military has from selling weapons on the black market. So Ed Harris and the script goes out of its way to say like this this is not hurting anybody this is actually probably from a fund that has way more than 100 million dollars in it like way way more Mm -hmm. and it's not going to come from the taxpayers and it's a hundred million dollars right that's a lot to me but to a government that's nothing Mm -hmm. in in some sense it made me feel like it was a dr evil situation where you like confused the million for a billion mm-hmm. like i want one million dollars and it's like yeah he's he's not asking for enough right uh-huh. he could ask for more sure and the movie goes on and indy just keeps saying like pay them the money because it keeps coming back to these military guys just finding more and more violent ways of trying to kill all the people in alcatraz never once do they entertain the idea of just giving the man the hundred million dollars that's mm-hmm. not even on the table. Well, that's kind of what I was going to say is that's is the, the it's y- y- he could have asked for five dollars and the government would have said, no, we're not giving you five dollars. Exactly. You're a terrorist. We're, we're not giving you money, period. Right. So that's like, you know, it's a little bit of an arbitrary decision. Because it's not a decision because you're never getting the money. There's never been any instance in the world ever Where someone's like, I'm doing this, I'm creating a hostage situation, and the only way I'm getting out of, the only way we're going to resolve this is you give me money, and then they're like, all right, here's the money. It's never happened. Right. Yeah, people keep trying. Right. God bless them. But that that kind of brings up the point, right? The the movie climaxes with... Mm -hmm, Go on. The president. (laughs) Not that kind. Uh Uh-huh. Um... The president, in a truly bizarre moment that feels forced in for some reason, mm-hmm. and who's the president? It's like a no. It's like a fictional okay. guy, but he like. But I mean, the actor is a nobody. Yeah, and he's always he's in like silhouette. He's filmed like heroically, mm-hmm. and he's like doing this voiceover. Where he's like, "This is the hardest decision I've ever had to make. Mm-hmm. I don't make it lightly." And the f- and what Ed Harris's character is making us confront is real. And blah, 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 right? And then he goes, but bomb Alcatraz. <laughs> All right. But I am going to say, yeah, kill the 81 civilians. Just bomb them. Instead of giving this man this $100 million. Mm-hmm. And I immediately thought, 
building on your point, it didn't matter if Ed Harris asked for $86 or $100. Yeah. But it's because the government is never going to give up their money for civilians. Yeah. It's just a bad precedent. You can't do it. No, no, no. It's not even a bad precedent. I'm saying that you could say there are there are 81 sick civilians right here. Mm-hmm. They need a million dollars to to save them. And I want it from a slush. Like, I know you guys have a slush fund. Yeah. That probably has billions. Just take one million and save these 81. You have it. Mm-hmm. And the answer would be, no, we can't do that. That's ridiculous. You know what? We're actually going to kill all of you mm-hmm. for even asking. You know, the guy could even be like, this is not a hostage situation. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, I know this slush fund exists. Just pay these people's medical bills. Help them get healthy. Mm-hmm. And the government would still be like, no. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to bomb you. <laughs> and yeah. We're going to make it sound heroic. Like, it was a tough decision. But no, we, we prize every dollar is more important than an American life. Yeah. On the one hand. On the second hand, the movie itself... Is, is then either written like a McCarthy-era communist writer who's been blacklisted, mm-hmm. and they're like, write a movie called Spartacus, and they're like, okay, I'm going to write it as a communist manifesto. Like, you know what I mean? All those old, you know, early Hollywood films written by secret communists, right, who are mm-hmm. black blacklisted and, and pushing the ideology and, like, film noirs and stuff like that. The Rock feels a little bit like that. Like, it is kind of saying... The government is evil. Like, it goes out of its way to make the point that, like, Ed Harris was doing illegal operations. They don't ever bother to deal with that. That America has a slush fund from selling weapons on the black market. They don't ever deal with that. And then in the end, they they want America to come out still looking, like, virtuous. Like, the president has a tough decision to make, you Mm -hmm. know? It's completely ridiculous. On the other hand... When you actually like, so so you're like, oh well, maybe that's intentional, right? Like that, it is actually a a cogent screed against the American government. On the other end, though, Indy brought this up too. Couldn't they just? They know Ed Harris said he's going to pay out the families. You know the families that are going to get the million dollars. You can just get it back, right? Isn't um, isn't one of the twists of the ending though that he wasn't he wasn't he planning on keeping all the money no the twist is he's a good guy he was never actually going to oh kill, kill anybody people. yeah and he he was going to do it all non-lethally mm. um, oh so he still was still going to kill people no 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 non-lethally non he yeah. wanted to do everything non-lethal. Like, oh, I see what you're saying. It right, goes right, right. out of its way in the beginning when they steal the rockets. One of his second-in-command guys is like, yeah, the dart shouldn't wear off for about another two hours. Or like, uh-huh. He goes out of his way. Now, they do throw people out of a, <laughs> like a overlook tower and stuff. I'm sure somebody... People did. get shot, too, right? There's a lot of guns in the movie. Well, in the beginning, it's like darts. 
the, the problem is, is that the American government is the one that tries to break into Alcatraz to kill these people, uh, and then they respond. So, right. again, it's like the, the American government is always the aggressor in this situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Paying money is never the, the, the point. Even being smart enough to say, listen, he wants $100 million, He's going to pay $80 million. We know the Johnsons in Fort Worth, Texas mm-hmm. is one of the families. So when they get a million dollars, we go. We're just going to take it back from yeah. them. Uh, sorry, Johnsons, you don't get that million. We know where that came from. Uh-huh. Like he told you what he's going to do with the money. You know what I mean? But none of that makes any sense. Then let's risk more people's lives. Let's put more people in danger. Let's kill more Americans. Killing Americans will always make more sense than, sir, aren't we going to get like 80 million of this back because the people sure. still live in America? Yeah. So really, we're giving 12 million to a guy that everybody in the government goes out of its way to say, this is a man of honor. This is a, this is a good man. He's a good soldier. Oh, and you know what? He has a point. Everybody says he has a point. Right. The president at the end is like, yeah, he's making us confront some real issues. Yeah, let's bomb them. (laughs) (laughs) I've just been living with this, like, dissonance in my brain. Yeah. And it just makes me feel, like, legitimately crazy. Also, because I watched this at, like, 15. Yeah. Where, like, I remember loving it because it was an action movie that had more than one idea. I remember being a kid being like, speed, action on a bus, great. Air Force One or whatever, action on a plane, Got it. This one, though, has, like, a man getting thrown off of a building, a Mm -hmm. car chase. There's a whole, like, chemical weapon, you know, leak in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I just remember being like, wow, this is, like, different kinds of action all throughout. This is exciting. Then you watch it. And the problem is you don't watch it as an adult. You watch it with a 13-year-old kid Mm -hmm. who just, like, has a working brain and is, like, None of this makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you know what? It doesn't. But also, neither does the real world. Right. It makes as much sense as reality. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't remember. I just remember liking it as a kid. But I don't remember. I mean, now that you're talking about it, I vaguely remember it. I do remember, um, like I said, vaguely Ed Harris kind of being like, um, a good guy, but right. like I said, I for some reason I felt like the, the plan was ultimately for him to just keep all the money, but obviously that's wrong. No, uh, it, but it's also um Jerry Bruckheimer mm-hmm. is who directed it, right? No, no, no. He's always a producer. M- Michael Michael Bay. Michael Bay. That's right. That's whose name I was trying to remember. And it was on Criterion Collection. Yeah, I mean... Which I owned it on Criterion. Yeah, loved it when I was a kid, but I I haven't seen it for a long time. Well, if you watch it now, you can weigh in on whether you think it's actually a cogent political commentary. I would... See, that's the other thing. I would not ever expect that from any Michael Bay movie. No, no, but I mean, like... Well, the other thing is... I would I don't expect cogent period from Michael Bay movies. No, neither do I. That's what I'm saying. It's so stupid that it makes a point. You know what I mean? Um... And it's so stupid that it almost feels intentional. And then you watch a movie like Pain and Gain, uh-huh. which I do think has something to say, again, whether intentional or not. I think Pain and Gain is actually like a legitimate, like great movie. Mm-hmm. Did you watch it? I did. It really does feel like, especially at this point in your life, 
it feels like a you movie. It feels like you watching it now. Yeah. Like, it's got some great, like, dumb Mark Wahlberg voiceover, which right. you and I are both a fan of. Like, um, I Heart Huckabees. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he did ba- the Bad Boys movies, too, right, Michael Bay? Yep. He did the first one or just the second one? No, he one? did both. And then his last movie was Ambulance. With I watched that on the airplane. You watched Ambulance? On the airplane. <laughs> the thing that I love about Ambulance is, again, it's it's that same The Rock dissonance. Oh, so you watched it too? Yeah. Were you on an airplane? So you had sure. less of an excuse than I did. Anyway. No, but here's the other thing. I've seen all the movies I've recommended to you. Cure. Did you want me to Devil watch Blue Cure Dress. or Devil Who Just on an airplane? Sure. I just want you to watch it. Taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3. Anyway, I watched Ambulance. And, and Ambulance has the same dissonance, right? Where they're trying to save this cop's life in the ambulance. How many cops did they kill in the chase? Oh, yeah. Like, they, they're mowing people down. Cops are dying left and right. But God forbid this one cop in here dies. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Who cares? Anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's The Rock. The most politically... Ad- oh, is that Excuse a burp? Me. First burp of the night? Mm-hmm. Did you watch that clip I sent you? I did. Um, I watched it on my phone as I was, like, at a stoplight. But there's no way it's real. You don't think that's real? You think no. someone put in yes, a louder I do. burp? Yes, I do. I think someone put in a louder burp. <laughs> There's no way it's real. From what I could see on my phone, it was not real. Can I Can I get your... Excuse me, a slide. No way that's real. We're getting a... Excuse me, a slide. There's no way. It's very obviously not real. It's funny. <laughs> It's not real, though. I don't know, man. And why is her voice so low? <laughs> the burp matches that, too. Like, it's... Um, can I get your get your quick hot take on Twitter? Uh, I guess I don't really have one. Okay. Have you seen what's going on, though? Yeah. Where you yeah, can get yeah. verified and then just change your oh, name. Oh, right. Like, yeah, of course. I'm verified. Then I change my name to like Doritos. Right. And then I can just start tweeting as Well, Doritos. I thought he made it so you can't change your name anymore. Oh, yeah, or something like that, but for like a brief period right. of time or whatever. Um, yeah, my take on that is kind of like it's I guess it's kind of the same the same feeling that I have about all the political stuff. Where it's like, it's really easy and fun to get like caught up in all the immediate stuff. And I do too, especially with the political stuff. But ultimately, the big picture is always nothing is nothing ever happens. Like think about over the past six years, how many gotcha things we have on Donald Trump. And it's like... He's still going to run for president in two years. What's the gotcha thing here, though? Well, the gotcha thing here to me is kind of like everyone's like, oh, this is the end of Twitter. Elon's going to Elon sunk himself. He's going to lose his fortune. We're going to watch the downfall of Elon because he bought Twitter because his ego was so big and he couldn't get out of it. And da, 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 da. And, you know, it's kind of to the point of the rock 
it's like the the whole point of America or the whole the whole point of like the system now is that once you get enough money you can't fail you can't fail you can't lose so it's like Elon is he's got enough money that he cannot lose well i to me it's not the point of like the point isn't the failure it's it's not the destination it's the journey and i think what's interesting is seeing a guy I saw someone at work who I met years ago for the first time introduced himself as a Musk fanatic. Right. Like never met before. And that's how he like chose to introduce himself. So I'm in the hall the other day. It was like embarrassment on both sides. It's just like, and part of that felt like, oh yeah, you know me as the Musk guy, you know? <laughs> right. That could have been unspoken. <laughs> he could still be a Musk fanatic. I don't know. Yeah. Cause we haven't really talked since then. But there's that there's that aspect of like anyone that people hold up as like someone who's gonna save us and that you can clearly see is like a lunatic. Mm-hmm. When they expose themselves, you're just like I mean, that's kind of the horse racing of politics, right? That's kind of the whole point. Like that that's what I took from like the election night coverage is all the people, even like the quote-unquote smart people who cover politics, it all comes down to them just wanting to watch a dummy like Dr. Oz eat shit. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like, they can hide behind like the policies and blah, 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 blah. But in the end, those policies are never going to get enacted. Like, we're, we're never going to get like universal health care. And what they're doing is not actually advancing that cause, right? They're talking about it. They're filling their space. And then you have a valid voice. But in the end, election night comes down to, let's watch this lunatic eat shit. Mm-hmm. And so um, that to me is the same thing happening here. Did you see? I didn't even read this. Right. But the thing is, that's kind of my point. Dr. Oz did eat shit because he lost. Elon Musk is not going to eat shit. And what we're going to get, just like with Donald Trump, is years and years and years, the journey, what you're going to get is the journey of someone who should fail. But the destination is their success. So it's like, I don't get any satisfaction from that journey because I know that it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Because I, I, at the end of it, you you get to, oh, he's still a, the richest man in the history of the world and you have two years of nothing but failures to look back on. And it's like, well, why does this still work for this guy? And it's just because he has a lot of money. But you're also the person who I know employs and has the the widest breadth of Trump reaction memes uh-huh. and uses them, like, perfectly. <laughs> so it's like, here's another opportunity for you to kind of, like, get material for your daily life off of this rich person's buffoonery well elon is also not he's not a A meme like how trump is yeah like he doesn't speak in public like that and uh did you see someone just posted a a quote of his i guess from like an all hands meeting Mm -mm. at twitter but that's what i'm saying too is it like is it is there an audio of it or it's just someone recording what he said I don't know, but it's him saying the word gizmo a lot. <laughs> so it seems promising. The one thing audio. The one thing that I will say about all of it is that I do feel like maybe not recently, but for a while, 
he definitely had an air of legitimacy, right? An air of like this guy, like with Trump, it's it's undeniable. I, I can even talk to the most strident Trump defender, and I know that they know that Donald Trump is an idiot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like everybody knows that he's not smart. With Elon, I felt like for a long time, he still had that um, just little sliver of doubt. You know what I mean? Where you could be mm-hmm. like, he 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 might know what he's talking about. Um, even though for me that that's been gone, I don't know. Probably since the, I don't know if I ever thought Elon was like a smart guy. But at this point, after all the Twitter stuff, I don't think I don't think you can look at. You know, the guy who 10 years ago was talking about putting people on Mars is now giving people, making people pay $8 to be verified on Twitter, uh, forcing everybody to come back and work in the office. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can no longer be like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. Firing he clearly re-hiring. has no idea what he's doing. He's yeah. just an idiot like everybody else is. But he has a lot of money. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> Um, I we have to keep our country gate. Indy, Indy got to hear the uh, the wind burned her a little in the pool and uh, lost it. Um, he would not accept that that was a real. Uh, a real quote so he made me find it and we ended up watching a whole speech of his mm-hmm. or like not a whole but a good piece we're mm-hmm. talking about wind power oh kills yeah, birds. Yeah, 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 yeah yeah you want to see dead birds look under a windmill um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and like yeah it was interesting it was like watching the rock with indy yeah you know where you just like yeah son that's what do you want? You know, you get defensive about adults when kids just bring their kind of clear-eyed sense of the world yeah. to, to bear. And like, listen, what do you want from us? Everyone's exhausted. Everyone's scared <laughs> of dying. You know what I mean? Yeah. We can't control anything. So, yeah, you know what? Donald Trump was president. And you know, I'm not going to apologize for it. Yeah. Um, do you think that the... Uh, do you think that these midterms will have any sort of effect on Trump and on him running? Isn't he losing it right now? Like well, that's right. That's the, that's been the thing. The sanctimonious. Right. Which is too long, which is a miss, right? It's a rare long. miss for Trump in or, his, on his insult he, game. He's, he's got to go <laughs> back to the drunk. He's off the mark on that one. But um, from what I've been seeing, um, and it, I guess I haven't been following too much of the, of the mainstream stuff, but whenever something like this happens, I like to check in on the conservative subreddit. Mm-hmm. Be- before you do that really quick, what was his, his really good burn against, was it Rubio water? What was the thing where he drinks too much? Oh, water? he looked, he was sweating so much. He looked like he jumped in a pool or something. <laughs> There's something about like how much water he drank or yeah. something like that, where I was like. Man, what an obscure but but accurate. Yeah, burn. he's quick. Um, uh, b- 
but all over the conservative subreddit, they're like, they're they're all for DeSantis, and you know, of course, Trump is now attacking DeSantis, and so they're like, you know, it's time for him to to step aside. And obviously, the conservative subreddit is a very very niche, small sample size of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've seen some. Um, stuff pop up here and there about Fox news is starting to turn on him a little bit and da, 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 da. and I'll be interested to see if this has any sort of lasting effect. Oh, it will. <clears throat> what What's so interesting again, like even again, going back to even watching the smart people talk about politics is like you're the only take that you can have is is a smart take on a dumb situation. Like all these people who spend their whole time on like the subreddit and talking about politics and blah, 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 blah are still just following the lead of a system. Mm -hmm. Right. They love Trump until DeSantis won. Right. Now it's all DeSantis. Now it's like, you know what Trump does? He needs to go quietly into the sunset. Mm -hmm. If DeSantis had lost or if it was a close race, or if a lot of the more Trump-backed people had won, they'd still be all for Trump. It's like, yeah, how, for sure. How do you give your time and, and attention to something that is just so blatantly obvious you following the lead of, of something else? Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you're applying no original thought to it. And it goes back to, like, yeah, the pundits, too. Like, people who just want to talk endlessly about politics are going... Fox News or CNN, MSNBC, all of them, mm-hmm. who then are just going to, you know, reiterate an observation based on the leadings of, well, hey, this is what we're saying now as a party. Hey, this is what right. this is the party line now. Hey, the the smart people are telling us DeSantis is the future, so go go out there and start trashing Trump. So yeah, like Britt Hume wasn't he the guy on Fox that was like going hard against Trump and like ruffling a lot of feathers because he was the guy. Who's starting the um like the the count counter Trump surge mm-hmm. on Fox? Mm-hmm. And you could see some people getting really uncomfortable. It's like if you're getting uncomfortable, what do you do with your life? Like how do you how do you feel good about your your, your job and your life mm-hmm. that you're not just parody? Like just tell me what to say. Oh my god! Yeah. Did you see that clip of DeSantis being asked? Um, to commit to a full term as governor. <laughs> yes. Just blank. It was so just blank. good. He literally just didn't do anything. He didn't it's do, so great. He st- and he stood there. And he Man. didn't like look around. He just stood there, stared at the camera. Yeah, that was really good. You know? And then you, you see like little clips of like Kamala Harris, who just seems to lost it. In, in her role as vice president. Yeah, I haven't seen or heard anything about Yeah, all long. I see are, like, clips of her and then clips of Veep, where mm-hmm. she's literally, like, acting out Veep. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and also a classic vice president, right, where it's like, what's one initiative that she's like? <laughs> where have you what been is, at? What is one years? thing that she's, like, even said about it? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Just, like, running around doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, and, again, that's probably the fruit of, quote-unquote, smart political thinkers who are like, just keep your head down. Don't have any personality. They can't get you. Mm-hmm. 
you'll be you'll be ready to run in 2024 you know yeah i don't know man it's crazy i i'm gonna i was this is where i was gonna go to my um my joke that i was very proud about that i started texting you about and then bailed Mm -hmm. um but yeah i've cooled on it Okay. <laughs> it's not podcast worthy, huh? Yeah, I don't know. I'll bring you up off air. <laughs> All right. Um, do we want to move into White Lotus then? Uh, or do you have yeah. anything else? No, I think that was everything. If not, we'll come back to it next week, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, who, who's Who's kicking it off? Oh. All right, so uh, episode two of White Lotus is called Italian Dream. Um, I th- thought instead of just doing like a recap, because I think obviously this is a, a is a bit of a, is different than Severance, right? I feel like Severance is more like plot plot oriented and this is more more character character oriented so i figured for this instead of just doing like a sort of recap of what happened in the episode we could kind of recap what happened to each character or to each group to recap podcasts Mm -mm. do you get like i don't get the point of going plot point you know what i mean Mm -hmm. because then you're just getting people reacting to like restating the plot and being like yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. Instead, yeah, I'd rather go like talk about the characters or like something that happened. Like, would you do that? Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so episode two, it's called Italian Dream. Um. Yeah. What do you think of the episode? Immediately, I was trying to apply like Italian Dream to the episode itself. Like, did. And, oh, oh, well, I guess... Uh, I think it's Tanya, Tanya right? Right, yeah, Ta- Tanya, Tanya got to live out her Italian dream. Of being Monica Vitti right. on the Vespa <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Well, can I jump really quick, and then I'll give some overall thoughts mm-hmm. of the... Oh, no, we'll, we'll get to it. Overall thoughts on the episode? Um, I think that... <clears throat> where I'm falling, I guess, is... I'm ready for new stories. I don't want the same like television shows recycled. Mm. And you know what that means sometimes that some shows are going to take a while to crank up. And if it's good writing, it'll get there. You know, even severance, right? Like Mm -hmm. I could watch severance and have been frustrated by some of the like plotting and some of the things that they kept secret. You know, where they could have just told us what the outside world Mm -hmm. is like, right? They could have answered a lot of questions early on or who characters were, but they chose not to for the overall package at the end. You see why they told the story the way they did, and I think it worked. In this one, I'm okay with, uh, like, not a lot happened, you Mm -hmm. know? And it didn't advance a lot of the story, but they're were moments in it that made me laugh that I enjoyed. And it, it also 
isn't a hangout show to me that doesn't feel like it has purpose, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing that I don't like are like hangout shows where it's like, yeah, nothing happens and that's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. Like, I still want some narrative momentum and we're heading towards multiple deaths. So at yeah. least people are going to be dying. But yeah, not a lot happened, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed the ride. Like um, Tanya on the vest. <laughs> right. Well, did she enjoy that ride? <laughs> well, exactly. Kind of yeah. terrifying. I, I want to talk about that. But uh, yeah, I feel like the the um, the progression, I guess, or the propulsion is less about the overarching mystery, which is that a bunch of people die by the end of the season. And it's more... Um, trying to or i guess not even trying i guess you're not like um hypothesizing or whatever but just sort of seeing the progression of the of the people and the relationships and their dynamics and you know you have the uh smaller mystery of like what's going on with greg and um i think there's some mystery to Daphne and Cameron, mm-hmm. right? That we can talk about a little bit. Um, so yeah, there's like smaller, I guess, more character-driven stuff that I still I still find really interesting, right? But is but is different from Severance in that you know Severance is kind of the whole thing is kind of purposefully moving you to kind of through the mystery you know what i mean where this is kind of just like i don't know it's it's different in that it just kind of feels like you're just watching a bunch of pieces kind of slowly coming together you know what i mean right i think what i was trying to say too is i would have a problem watching a show that was basically like watch these rich people on vacation Mm -hmm. and that was kind of the point like Mm -hmm. I never watched it. I thought about getting into it, but it's one of the reasons why I never watched The Crown on Netflix. That's what Julia's watching right now. Yeah, because it's about the monarchy, mm-hmm. and they're not going to talk about, like, um, Andrew on the planes with Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? You're just going to get, like... It's going to be very sanitized. Yeah, yeah, a sanitized version of what? Of, like, right. rich people being rich and having, like, some rich problems and... Mm-hmm. But ultimately, like getting it's like through it's it, fetishiz- fetishization. Yeah, the, yeah, like I don't, I don't want the. Even if you're like, yeah, well, this show doesn't love the royals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's doing it in a way that is uninteresting to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, I think that's the distinction that I was trying to make. Where if this didn't feel like it had some propulsion. I don't think I would be as interested, Mm -hmm. but it does. Well, and this is also very much a critique on wealth. Yes. Uh, Much more pointed. Yeah. Um, Which uh, we'll talk about in a little bit because I have a a Reddit comment or post maybe. One thing that we didn't talk about that I wanted to hit on to before we jump in, opening credits. What do you think? Yeah. So there was someone posted a big, long article to the subreddit about so the the credits for the second episode i think they were were not from the first episode really i don't think so i don't remember seeing them 
I I will go against you on that, and I will say they were the exact same because there's like a swan having sex with a lady. I saw that right. in the first one, and there was a monkey. I saw that. I wonder if I have it saved here. Yes, the White Lotus season two's wild opening credits explained, um, which is an article from some website. I didn't read it. I didn't have time, and quite frankly. I'm not smart enough for some of this stuff because a lot of this stuff is like mythological, blah, 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 blah. That's stuff that I just don't have a reference for. Um, but yeah, it's I'm sure it's interesting. Someone on the subreddit goes and breaks it all down. Big, long article, but I, I don't have the brain for that the, stuff. I don't have it. I, it's just not. Give me a cliff notes of like. Uh, I mean, it's not a cliff notes. Tanya has a monkey on a chain. So Which, they are relating you yes. know, characters. And that's to the other the thing, too, because I saw this. Oh, maybe this does confirm this is in the first episode. I saw this before. Well, maybe not. I saw this. Bef- I saw this post before I watched the second episode. So then when the credits came on, I was looking for the characters. But it's not a one to one. Like Tanya's not in the painting. There's like a representation of someone who who is supposed to be like a representation of Tanya, Mm -hmm. which you're already losing me, right? I don't, I I can't follow it that closely. Um, Tanya has a monkey on a chain, which seems very appropriate for Uncle Rico's, for Greg's character and seems to be how he feels. Also, instead of a scooter, two people are riding an ass who is looking back at us. Uh, Uncle Rico equals ass. The other thing that um, stood out in the opening credit sequence it has a really dramatic like switch in the music and then a th- a cut three times of the same image getting like closer and closer and it's just three circles mm. i was like what what does that represent mm-hmm. it was almost like dun 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 in the middle and just three holes i was like whose three holes are that mm-hmm. yeah so it there's a lot so, yeah, very mythological. Anytime you see, like, an animal having sex with a human, probably referencing mythology, which is referenced in this episode, too, which is, it's just so funny that, like... Oh, here you go. Three rings. That's what you're talking yes, about? Yeah. Equals threesome. Ooh. That's what the Redditors... Well, they, they uh, really... I, I love fans, 699. That's what they Well, they is. should know. Threesome, really quick then, before you jump in, who would the threesome be? The threesome is the people at the end of the episode. Uh, oh, Dominic and the just... prostitute, and Lucia and Mia. I wanted something more juicy, like um, Kermit. The frog? No. <laughs> What's her name? Kermit? Yeah, no, it's not Kermit, but that was the first name that came in my head, and I wanted to say it. Um, Portia? No, no, no. Uh The other one. Valentina? No, the, the, the four rich Tanya. Young young people. Oh. Harper or Daphne? Harper. Mm. What did I call her Kermit? Yes. Not even not even close. Um, yeah, so I'll I'll link to that, but I didn't have time. I don't have the time or the, the brain to to dig through it. And also, I'm sure at the end of the season all this will make sense. Kind of like um it's like in midsummer, right? 
Like the movie Ooh, opens, just telling. Does you it not? O- right, it opens with that big painted mm-hmm. canvas that just walks <laughs> so, you through the entire plot of the movie. But at the beginning, of the movie, you have no idea what you're looking at. You know what I mean? <clears throat> uh, all right, back to my notes. So the opening credits. Um, yeah, I guess that's all we had to say about that, right? With I like them. What we talk? Yeah, they're they're fine. They're I, opening credits. I, well, I think they're more than that. I think I appreciate the effort they're putting into it. Yeah, but it don't mean nothing to my pea brain. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's start by talking about the young couples. Yeah, Daphne and Cameron are the douchebag couples, and Harper and Ethan are the cynical, uh, new newly rich. Right. Uh, we basically get just m- kind of more of the same from them. Don't you want to know what his app that he sold was? Mm, no, not really. Like, I almost want to be just like a useless, completely Oh, useless. I'm sure it would be, yeah. Yeah. Like, all these ideals made off of the back of like, a, it lets you like donate your socks, your your leftover <laughs> socks. To right, a, yeah. Needy, yeah, it's one of the um, uh, con con what's it called? Consumer, um, I don't even know what it's called, Mm. but it's basically what Americans do charity through consumption or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like I'm providing, I'm providing, I'm doing my part because I buy Tom's and they give one pair of shoes to some poor kid in Africa, you know what I mean? Um, consumer activism or whatever it's called. Uh, yeah, so I guess with Harper and Ethan, the question that I have is how, how indicative of like actual problems are there problems you know what i mean like because they they obviously have a lot of disconnect like this whole episode is kind of about how how disconnected they are right and is that indicative of a larger issue between the two and are they headed in a direction of like by the end of the season they'll be uh split apart yeah or is it just like we were talking about in the first episode is this just like a modern marriage and that that's what i was trying to get at with that first episode too is what was trying to diagnose your your take on it because my my take is that is a relationship that would have enough obvious signs in it that if i was in it i think i'd be like can we just can we just have a real conversation yeah here? Like yeah. what? Are, what are we doing? Like, yeah. wh- don't you think that like th- there'd be enough? Si- if you were on vacation, these were your first forty eight hours. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't you think that you would just like close your laptop and just be like, "Wow, this is us on vacation." Like, yeah. This is pretty. This is, this is pretty, pretty problematic. Dire. Yeah. Yeah. Is is that your sense? Mm. I mean, again, I think it, I think they do a pretty good job of of walking the line. Uh, and maybe not walking the line, but not like jumping off the edge. You know what I mean? Like, I guess you can kind of see where it's headed, but it doesn't. 
necessarily seem like an inevitability to me yet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if nothing changes, it definitely feels like not good things are going to happen. It definitely feels like this is a little bit more than just your modern. Oh, absolutely. Marital issues. A- absolutely. I yeah. think, I think that anybody looking at it would. And again, I think it's the little things. Like I said, you can tell how annoyed she is with him still emailing at night when she's like laying in bed and how that's such a small thing, but how that can turn into a bigger thing. Right. And it clearly has. Yeah. And once you're there and there's not enough for you guys to connect on beyond that, like they talk about their sex life in here, right? They can't get their mm-hmm. sex schedules kind of linked up because he's a morning person. She's not. Mm-hmm. And you're not seeing enough of connection outside of those times to make up for that frustration because yeah that frustration will always be there right you're gonna go to the restroom after your spouse and the floor will be wet yeah and you're gonna be like every time right big puddle yeah uh yeah you know, it, it's like other times in the day you're gonna have moments where you're like oh this is i love my spouse you know yeah and you don't get the sense that there are many of those after and maybe they're doing the thing that a lot of couples do where it's like well maybe a child will save this if we mm-hmm. have a child, then we can kind of focus on something to connect us, and that n- never works. Yeah. Yeah, and the one thing that I find really interesting about the dynamic between the these two couples is that I, I feel like we're... Um, you, I feel like with Ethan and Harper, like we're getting the whole picture, mm-hmm. right? Like this is what it is. Mm-hmm. But then I feel like with with Daphne and Daphne and Cameron, it it there's an air to me of mm-hmm. like something else oh, is going yeah. on here. Oh, yeah. And I'm not totally sure if it's like they're putting on an act. How much of it is uh, is an act, or if there if it's purposefully like there's a just a little bit of it that just feels like they're doing this. Just to like play the roles, play the roles like they're purposefully trying to subvert these people's relationship. You know what I mean? And maybe the um, maybe the uh, Cameron more so than Daphne. Uh, but then obviously you also have like um, Cameron and Cameron is Harper, right? Of that relationship, and Ethan is Daphne of the other relationship. And they, they, the um, Cameron and Harper obviously are kind of like going at each other mm-hmm. uh, a little bit. And again, I guess you have more questions of which you were talking about in the first episode when he's getting changed in the mirror. Like, what? How purposeful is that? And like, what is the what is the motivation of it? You know? Yeah. Did you have any sense on like? Because they go into this whole, there was a story about how they lost the baby, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and a lot of it just feels like, but then you also have like, um, again, I feel like with the with Ethan and Harper, I feel like they do a good job of not telegraphing it so hard that it's undeniable you know what i mean i feel like there's still enough wiggle room to be like yeah they're just a 
<laughs> stupid happy couple. There's not much more to it than that. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Uh, if if we had uh, the the time, I would analyze this episode starting with the sinister undertones that are being added to the characters. In in a normal show, it would signify who the murderer is going to be or could be. Whereas I feel like what Mike White is doing in this show is kind of exposing the fact that like underneath the surface of a lot of these rich people is a kind of brutal or violent capacity, mm. if not tendency. And you start to see that in certain characters, in especially I'm trying to remember what, Daphne said or did something that made me think like, ooh, that was, she's already had one moment in the first episode mm -hmm. where she gets like a little dark. She, as like a joke, I think threatens to like ki kill. Oh, yeah. I think she says, she says something in the second episode about Harper cutting his balls off. Like she's cut his balls off or something like that. Right. But then she like, goes a little too yeah. in-depth. And mm. you have this idea that Daphne allows um, her husband... Mm -hmm. What's his name again? Cameron. Cameron. Leeway to kind of be who he is. He's made reference to that a little bit. Yeah. And there, you almost get this idea that there's an understanding between them. Like when he says, happy wife, happy life. Like... Nobody can make a relationship sustainable on that. Mm -hmm. But you get the feeling like they have an understanding where there's an acceptance of that darker side of them that can keep and fuel this insane, happy <laughs> exterior. Yeah. Nobody goes buying clothes like they go buy clothes. Yeah. With him, like, it was almost like the Dumb and Dumber scene <laughs> where they <laughs> find those goofy suits and just start tap dancing immediately, yeah. you know? Right. It, it, they're, they're so insanely happy. And when they're, like you said, when they are in front of Harper uh, and Ethan, they're kissing on each other all the time. Mm -hmm. They do seem to be kind of pushing mm -hmm. that mirror image of their relationship in their face. Yeah. Like, oh, look what we can do. Mm -hmm. but you don't get the sense that that's truly them, that there's a darker, I almost feel like they would be the couple that would then go home and you realize like, oh, they stole one of these kids. Right. But then you get scenes where they're in the hotel room, right? Not around anybody else. And they're just goofing around with each other and tickling each other or whatever. Or you get the scene in this episode specifically where I think it, where Harper is talking shit about them, right? And Ethan says something like you're, you, they get into that whole argument about you're so harsh on everybody and you're so judgmental, da, 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 da. And she says something along the lines of like, um, you know, everybody does it. You know, they're in the other room doing the same thing right now. And they're tickling and each other. No, they're not. You go into their room and they're doing the same thing. They're talking shit about Ethan and I Harper. I thought that was later in the episode. I thought when it cut back to them, they were just like goofing around. Then later in the episode. I mean, maybe. That, yeah, maybe it's not a one-to-one. -one, but later, right. but at some point in the episode, they are doing the same thing. He does. He, he Yeah. Yeah, he starts going in on Harper. So it's not like necessarily 
You know what I mean? Yeah. You still have those moments with 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 that couple, as fake as they seem in front of. I guess maybe that adds more credence to the idea that they're just fucking with these people. You yeah. Know? Well, well, again, I, I, I will put it if I had to put my money. My money is either they are the killers in some way, mm-hmm. or they have a, a a secret hidden life that speaks to a kind of masochistic or uh-huh. um, you know sociopathic almost understanding of of each other yeah that like because she she even says daphne says he will just have these moments of blowing up right he will just like mm-hmm. hold it in he's all smiles and then he will just lose it on mm-hmm. somebody but he never does it to me but he never does it to me right. and it's like again i could see it as one of those things where he's like you watch the patient he's like the, mm-hmm. the, the patient where he's like honey we, we need to bring out the tarp i, I have to kill <laughs> I have to kill somebody. And she's like, okay, sweetie. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Helping him like that. That's the sense I get from Daphne and Ethan. Yeah. Or Daphne and Cameron. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've got a couple posts that I wanted to dive into about about these people. Uh, some of these are more relevant to the last episode because I didn't look at Reddit at all for the last episode. So I went back and saved some of these. Okay, Cameron, okay, this is from, that's what she said from seven days ago. So this was before this last episode came out. Cameron invited them to Sicily because of Harper. There's no world in which Cameron just randomly spoke to his friend Kevin, who went to law school with Harper. Cameron might know where Harper went to school, might know where, but keeping tabs on what year she was there and who he might know that was in law school at the same time as her. He's clearly researching her. And the fact that his friend is a known scummy lawyer that uses tactics that should have him disbarred. Not a good sign for the company Cameron keeps. The red herring that's being laid out is Cameron invited them because of Ethan's new success. But I think Cameron invited them because of Harper's job. Showing his dick wasn't sexual or flirty in nature. It was a power move. Old move to have your dick out in a room with a sexual harassment slash assault lawyer. Mind you, they just finished talking about her job. The timing of the sequence of events can't be ignored. He did he did this to say, I'm untouchable. You do what you do for a living, and you're supposedly the best of the best, and you can't stop me. Yeah, he he's not in the position that he is at the company that he has, and being this... Like in in lacking that as much personalities he puts forward, mm-hmm. right? And you do get that sense in the in the tension between the two that he picks up. Well, everybody picks up on the, on the tension, um, but he's purposefully, yeah, tamping down that or trying to control that side of him. Now, how intentional are his actions towards her? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point, and I would probably tend to agree with him that. Yeah, is is he getting his outlet in these targeted interactions with her? Like, especially when he grabs her mm-hmm. ankle mm-hmm. Uh, from underwater. His interactions with her are aggressive and 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 ways to show his power. Um, and again, given her role, you could see how that could work on multiple levels, right? That that's his view. Of his company and his coworkers, where 
they are beneath him, below him. He's in a power position above them and how he'd want that to be in relationship to, to Harper. I don't fully understand. He's saying that he feels like Cameron has been tracking Harper since she was in school. So he's, he's like obsessive about her or wanting. Yeah. I'm not sure. That's, that's one thing that I'm not sure about because like I said, I came to this a couple of days after watching the episode, but I think the connection is just that he knew somebody that went to school with Harper. And so he kind of knows her through that connection. Yeah, but I, I don't bit. know what that, like, to me, that almost implies that he is like a murderer looking for his next victim. Yeah, well, picked Harper. this same person has a follow-up post that says, I've, Oops, been, I've been overthinking this. It's as simple as that guy is worth twice what I'm worth, so I want to sleep with his wife. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So they've backtracked a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But that I think that also, too, is kind of a very uh, <laughs> natural... Natural is not the right word. But that is very much kind of where the narrative is, like, obviously pointing to. Of, like, you're, you're supposed to try and figure out, is Cameron... Does Cameron want to sleep with this guy's wife or, or what? Because everything... Because that kind of... What, what it's building up to. And I would imagine along the same lines as what you were saying earlier that they have this sort of uh, double life is that what would make sense to me along those lines is that they're like, he, he is pursuing her and then it's going to come out as a thing of just like, yeah, we're like in an open relationship. What, you know what I mean? Right. Like I'm oh. sure they just sleep around with whoever they want. Yeah. And no. then they're just going to be like, this is completely normal. Yes, I, I think that that's the, the baseline reveal is going to be that Daphne and Cameron have an understanding that they can, they have an open relationship. But the feeling that I get is almost like American psycho type level on top of that, where it's like we sleep around and occasionally, you know, he kills one of them. It's mm. fine. <laughs> it's, yeah. We're rich and powerful. We need that outlet. We need it. Yeah. We're owed it. Uh, okay, let's talk about the DeGrassos. Before we move on, sure. I just want to... Um, Harper walks in on Ethan masturbating. Mm -hmm. How did that play out to you? Did it feel like, oh, this is a healthy relationship in the sense that he was just like, yeah, I was masturbating. She doesn't seem like, I'm going to divorce you. Right. Um, and... Offers to help him, which just what? Yeah, what was your what was your take? Yeah, I felt like that kind of. I mean, I guess I I I felt like that was what you would expect is for that right for that to be the blow up. Uh, but it seemed to be handled more along the lines of how they're handling everything else, where it starts off a little tense, and instead of blowing up, they just kind of. Uh, diffuse everything and take a couple jabs at each other and get past it. And what it feels like is, is like eventually all of those things will come back up and become a problem once everything comes to a head. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it, I guess to me it was handled in like a, a faux healthy way and mm. a way that's like, yeah, we're, we're completely understanding about this. We're, this is totally understandable, blah, blah, blah. We're humans. Um, but there's like an under, 
uh, underlaying of resentment or, you know, whatever. It's that it's secretly an issue. I, I want to come back and touch on that, but what did you think of Ethan's shower? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of comments about that on the subreddit. Like he gets in the shower second. for like 20 seconds. He uses no soap. He uses no shampoo. He just rinses off basically and then gets out. <laughs> and he's just been on a mega after, run. Yeah, after running. Not only that, running, covered in sweat, immediately just comes in the room and gets in the bed, gets naked and gets in the bed. That bothered me. <laughs> when, yeah. when, when he got in the bed, bothered me. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt, I, I, I think I feel the same way. I definitely, her offer to like help him, mm-hmm. definitely in the moment I was like, yeah, I, I couldn't see myself being like, yeah, this is the perfect time right, to, yeah. to do that. I think yeah. that dude would be like, I'm, f- I'm fine. Yeah, let's like, just get past this as quickly as possible. Yeah, and yeah. it's not even like I'm embarrassed at what I was doing, but I would say, yeah, on vacation, I probably would be like, I'm not going to look at porn on vacation. Like that to me is well, another sad right, sign. Right. That's right. And that's what uh, um, some other people saying too, is maybe that is indicative of a, a larger problem. Yes. Maybe it's not necessarily just a simple, Oh, I just was horny and I need to take care of it. I don't think we're going to get it. But again, I, I, this is the second time where I've thought about like my version of the show, but I would love to see just like a sex scene with, <laughs> Harper and Ethan, that just clearly shows why he doesn't want help. Like, what could yeah. it look like? How bad yeah. is their sex? They and just, then you watch yeah. it. It's like Elaine dancing on Seinfeld. Uh-huh. You know, like, how bad could her dancing be? And then she dances. You're like, oh, wow. Right. That's, that's bad. You know? This makes a little bit more sense now. Yeah. Like, does she just roll up into a ball? Like, is that her move? She's like, uh, um, okay. But yeah, that was... I, I will say on the back end, she offers later at the end, like there's a, it's kind of bookended mm-hmm. where he's in bed at night, like again on his computer. Oh, right. Or something. She's yeah. like, hey, you want to, I forget what she said, but it's like playful. And I remember that being like, that feels gen, that feels fun. Well, like, right. And that's also too uh, a swap from what was happening in the first episode, right? Because in the first episode, it was Harper who was not, Right, she didn't want to toast. She yeah. wasn't trying to engage in anything, right? And it feels like in this episode, she's the one who's trying to be more engaged, yeah. And he's the one that's being more close. Well, she off. says to, and he thanks her for being more, yeah, like like try more. So it seems like she is trying more, but yeah. In the first episode, didn't he want to have sex? And she was like, "I'm bloated," or like she makes some kind yeah, of like that sounds right. Not now, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, it is kind of. Reverse again, showing they're mm. they're not in sync. They can't get yeah. in sync. Okay, uh, the Degrassos. So we have uh, Dominic and Bert and Albie, and they sort of pick up Portia pretty early in the episode. I think. Yeah, right? she's at breakfast. She sees her boss. Yeah, her boss's husband grocks her. She just walks to. Albie's table. Yeah. So the majority, I, the, the biggest takeaways f- from, from this is, I mean, you have Bert and Dominic, the father and the son, and then you kind of have Albie and Portia and their whole thing. So we'll talk about that later. But so Bert and Dominic's um, whole deal is, well, we find out that, that 
so Bird is really focusing in on the uh, he's his sort of way into the um, extramarital affairs. I guess mm-hmm. is the why isn't your wife and daughter here? <laughs> right, <laughs> which I which. I think answers the question of like their status, which is that they're still married. What was my understanding? Right. Mm -hmm. So it seems like they're still married. They haven't gone through the divorce yet. And the, the dad or Bert, uh, again, I guess going back to what we were talking about in the first episode of like, how much is this guy just like a, a quirky old man. Right. And how like, uh, old pervert is he? Right. And this seemed to me to tip him more on the scales of like, this is like a gross womanizing, like not a, not a good guy. Right. He's just, his his dalliances. Right. And he has some, like he has like a, uh, and I think this is in front of, this is front in front of Albie and Portia too. Right. Cause it's why they're touring the city or whatever. And he starts talking about this, Again, mythological thing that is goes in one ear out the other for me. But talking about how somebody gets raped and but and it ends up not being a big deal, <laughs> right? And then it's like, yeah, and and if they can get over that, your wife should be able to get over this, whatever this thing is, right? And he's like acting like playing innocent almost, right? And telling just like a weird, goofy old man story. Well, he's also again talking about those undercurrent, that undercurrent of violence and. Stuff like not only is his story violent, mm-hmm. but um, he also, when he talks about his wife, talks about her in like poetic language. Mm-hmm. But to me, just like no one talks about their like it's an act. Mm-hmm. It's it's all an act. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> when he's talking to his son, you realize like, oh yeah, he viewed dalliances as mm-hmm. trivialities as nothing, and that there's a man's right basically what he's saying right to yeah to be um to have extramarital affairs yeah and you just need to be smart about it but, right but that is that is what men do and again there's that kind of undercurrent of power and domination in that take what's yours but just do it smartly mm. and then be a sick old pervert who is views themselves as viable for any of these women mm-hmm. when all the people just look at you as a gross old man like and you see Portia putting up with it I think Haley Lou Richardson is doing a great job because her reactions to him you can see that he's getting by because she's still looking at him being like when what an old what a cute old man you know what I mean right exactly and, but but you get the feeling like he's not a cute old man right like, no. underneath that is a dirty old man. Exactly. If you were alone with, you wouldn't be like, "Oh, he's cute." You'd be like, "Get me out of here." Right. And later on, he go he he goes on to confirm that he does know exactly what his son did, right? Because his whole point of telling the story in front of everyone else was kind of like, "What you did couldn't have been worse than that." Blah blah blah. And they still worked it out. But he knows what his son did, right? And he was just trying to downplay it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which you know that sort of conscious decision to downplay it says to me that yeah this guy is a asshole well he and he does it in a very violent story yeah you know what i mean like again he he's a he's a guy who doesn't think about the violence perpetrated on women as something that he should be aware of when there's a woman in the company like yeah i'm just gonna talk about this mythological story involving rape 
and say it multiple times because yeah. why not? Uh, and then we have Albie and Portia. Um, what did you make of these two? Albie gave you a little sense of a of an incel, right? right. Incelly yeah, vibes, like nice guy vibe. vibes, a little bit. But then he asked to kiss her at the end, which to me is an anti incel move, because normally you wouldn't yeah. be able to say like, "Hey, this is I want something from you. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask." Yeah. Um, but I didn't like what he said about like the nice guys thing. I thought right. he lost me on that. But then she comes back with a. He also says something really gross about being attracted to wounded birds or something, well, which yeah. I thought was like, Ew. well, he was kind of saying that in reaction to her. Cause she was yeah. saying like, yeah, I, um, yeah. Did she compare herself to a bird or no? I think she was just coming off as like why do men or whatever mm-hmm. and yeah no that was that was a little weird and then at the end you did you get the sense that she like kissed him out of like one like did you feel like she was into it at all or she was just yeah like, that's the thing like, is yes. again it, it feels like it's it's framed and sort of written in the sort of traditional like romantic sense but and I, I can see why Albie would be attracted to her based on everything that he said, right? I can understand why he would see her as a quote-unquote wounded bird. But f- from what she was saying at the, in the first episode, I, don't, I do not understand why she would be interested in Albie at all. Because she's talking about, I'm in Sicily or whatever, she wants to have fun. I want to be thrown around by some big Italian guy, right? Mm-hmm. That is not absolutely not what Albie is. And asking for your permission for a kiss is not being thrown around, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it feels like maybe she's seeing this as like, well, this is the opportunity I have in front of me. Right. So why why not? Even though, yeah, he's not what she's looking for. But again... That underlying like violence, it's there in Albie too, where you where you have his mom or somebody remember they're like, and Albie, how did he turn out so so great? You know yeah. what I mean? Like I forget who says that in the first episode, but somebody makes a reference to what a nice guy Albie is. Right. And Albie does it again. You get the feeling of like, okay, either he really is what he says, which is like he is a reaction against what his father is mm-hmm. or he again is inherently still like can access violence and is just denying it in this moment, but he too can have, have his moments of. Right. Well, it almost feels to me like he's being set up or written in a way to be like, he's going to be the nice guy by way of, being the exact opposite of his dad and his grandfather, right? Yeah. But that but he doesn't understand what being a nice guy means. Mm. He's only he, doing it in opposition. Right. It's just the absence his, yeah. of this terrible behavior, which ultimately is going to lead to its own form of terrible behavior or misunderstanding or, you know what I mean? You being frustrated that just because you're not these things that your dad is, women still don't respond to you. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, well, you forgot to like put in character or like who you are Mm -hmm. 
in that framework. You're, you're just trying to be the frame. Um, yeah, there, here's a post from the subreddit that I thought was interesting. Theory about the DeGrasso men from Awkward Irishmen. Hmm? I'm listening. Uh, I've had a theory for a while. There's only been two episodes. Like that. Come on, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A while. You're feeling turned quick. I've had a theory for a while how the for DeGrasso family storyline was going to pan out. And Albie's dinner conversation from episode two is making me think I'm on the right track. I think the show wants us to initially perceive these three generations of men as representations of a positive change in attitude towards women as each one appears progressively better than the man that came before it, which is kind of what we were talking about in the first episode. However, however, in fact, I think the characters will actually come to showcase how misogyny and sexism has merely evolved to become more covert or complex, and as a result, potentially more insidious as it becomes harder to spot. Bert is the leering old man who appears superficially to be the worst. However, his shameless attitude towards his actions and his blatantly creepy advances at least make him easy to identify as misogynist, mm -hmm. which I think is interesting. Um, and it's kind of the uh, goes with all the political stuff, you know, that's been happening in the past couple of years where it's like, how did all these, why are all these people racist now? It's like, oh no, they're not racist now. It's just that they feel comfortable being openly racist you know right. what i mean dominic has enough self-awareness not to be publicly sleazy however still imagines still engages in adultery and pursues much younger women for sex in a way this self-awareness makes for a more problematic pervasive form of sexism as dominic has enough emotional intelligence to exploit the situation by playing the victim constantly highlighting his own guilt and shame in order to to garner sympathy and blaming his actions on sex addiction rather than taking any responsibility and then lastly, Albie, who appears to be a modern, respectful young man at first, but I think will gradually be revealed to be an incel type that has become adept at emotional manipulation, completely obscuring their sexist outlook or behavior behind a facade of niceness and then attempting to gaslight anybody that sees through it. So I guess they see Albie as a little bit more... Um, sinister Insidious. than i do yeah mm -hmm. i guess i don't i don't put that much um like he almost feels maybe too young to maybe have articulated an approach but that would be something that he would maybe be doing actively when he's like 31 mm -hmm. you know what i mean after a few years of refining his approach but fundamentally he's laying the bounds to be like yeah you misunderstand me it's not me i'm not the problem mm -hmm. it's your perception of me and therefore, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. That that feels accurate to Albie. Um, yeah, what's your feeling on sex addiction? Wasn't it like it was culturally like, I, f I feel like it was that concept was culturally dunked on around the time that, um, who's that filmmaker that made Shame? McQueen? Steve, mm, Steve, mm, Steve McQueen mm. made sh Shame? And people were like, sex addiction is not real. Stop it. Mm -hmm. It's That's ridiculous. What's your feeling on a character saying, like, I have a sex addiction? Uh, I don't know. I Sure. I don't have any reason to push back against it, I guess. So you think that that's valid, like, a, a valid um, I guess I wouldn't assessment of... 
as a problem, sure. I wouldn't view it as like a reason to like. Uh, I mean, j- just as like I wouldn't be like uh, I had to rob this person because I've got a heroin addiction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm too stupid for this. I wonder if there is an idea of like professionally, like if you talk to a psychologist or psychiatrist or whatever, if there would be a distinction between like, are you addicted to sex or are you addicted to the power over other people? Like Mm. is sex a means to your real Mm. issue or is sex the issue? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And for him, I would say that, yeah, it doesn't seem to me, which again goes back to the first episode where, yeah, it's not, it's not anti, you can still be pro sex work, I think, and analyze the reasons why people engage in sex work and, you know, why he would rely on them, Mm -hmm. right? And be like, that's, that's not right. That's unhealthy, mm-hmm. or that's dare I say that's wrong, right? To to do that, that's not me speaking morally against sex work. That's me analyzing the reasons why somebody like him would would be accessing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Where it's like, yeah, it's not, it's not. You don't have a sex addiction. You have a a more fundamental psychological pancakes issue. Right. He has a pancake addiction. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't get any sort of power dynamics from from Dominic. It just So you, you feel like when he says I have a sex addiction, you you're like he yeah, just he wants to have sex all the time. All the time. It's not necessarily like, oh, you you want to feel that that dynamic gives you some deeper thrill. Than just the act. You just want to. You just want to have sex. Yeah. I want pancakes. I want pancakes. Okay. Um. Also, I feel like I get the incel. I feel like the incel talk is a little miss, a little bit of a misnomer he, when it comes to Albie. He I used get it. the buzzwords, but he doesn't seem to fit right the profile. Yeah. And this is something I had written down a, a while ago as a note, just something to, to fill time when we needed something to talk about. With the rise of incels and like, right, how it's become a more mainstream thing mm-hmm. and how they've, how they've turned out to be like very gross people and it's gotten a very negative connotation to it. You're saying they need a leader or leaders. Does too. the movie... Us. Lars and the real girl need to be reevaluated. Lars and the real girl, I want to say, was a movie that I remember being interested in. I watched and I had like an allergic reaction. Yes. To it. I hated Lars yes. and the real girl. Absolutely. It. But when I it came out, why. it was like, because it's about an incel. Well, well, no, but I'm saying like now I can't articulate. I do sure. know. Roughly remember, what the, but I couldn't articulate one scene from it. I just remember it was watching about Ryan it Gosling like having a having a, a real doll for a, a girlfriend and forcing people to address right. her as a real right person. And when it came out, however long it it came out, it being this thing of like understanding and blah blah blah. And I get that to an extent, but I could never get past the idea of like this is 
unhealthy. This behavior. is yeah. This is <laughs> this is like not. I, I'm fine with like meeting people at their needs, but like this is not. This ain't it. This is not a mentally a good thing for this person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's a movie that I feel like in a 2022 lens, not going to look, not going to look so good. You'd be the one who like stabs the pillow and like <laughs> rips it up in front of him, forces him to deal with it. Uh, all right, Tanya and Greg, uh, they have their little Vesper ride. I will say, I, I felt like the episode started with Greg being a lot nicer than how he was in the first episode. By the mm-hmm. end of the episode, that's gone i thought he was always an asshole like i mean sure but he was in the beginning of the episode he was being more understanding and he was like let's go do your vespa trip and blah 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 you know what i mean well i mean by the end he has the blow up at her where he confronts her right that's what i'm saying at the beginning though he seemed to be a little he seemed to ease off the gas a little bit so with that but so that dynamic, what is interesting to me is that obviously he seems like an asshole, right? But do you get the impression that Tanya is at fault at all in Absolutely. any of that? He landed, also seems like a bad person, he, right? He landed some body blows for sure against her. Where yeah. he's like, look how many, uh, you know. You um, discard people, you blah, discard blah, blah, people, blah, Yeah. How many personal assistants you've been through. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I will say about Tanya, her... Like trying to get the fly out of her mouth on the back of the Vespa. <laughs> yes. And like that was great. The spaghetti slurp was great. Or <laughs> it just cuts their hair. She's just slurping a big, big noodle. <laughs> Perfect. And he, and he can't get her to stop squeezing him. <laughs> and you just get the sense, like, yes, this I know this woman so clearly. Yeah. And I I love I loved every second of, yeah. of that Vespa. She's ride. great. What would you think of Valentina calling her Peppa Pig? That, that was great. Very funny. I think that that was really funny, too. It, it At first, I was like, yeah, that's a obscure pull. Sure. For Valentina. <laughs> yeah. like, is Peppa Pig in it? <laughs> right, <out>? yeah. <laughs> but that was, that was very good. It was great, yeah. Um, so you, and, oh, I also love how Tanya's unfazed by it. Oh, yeah, she didn't even. Well, that's the thing, too. That's the uh, that's the other thing I was thinking. Is she unfazed? Do you think she just doesn't notice that at all? I think for that, she's waiting to hear the right answer. If she didn't hear the right answer, yeah. she's going to say the right answer. And mm-hmm. so it's like, this Italian woman didn't say M- Mastriano or... Uh, Vita something? Yeah. I can't remember now. She didn't say that. So I'm Monica, say, Monica Vita. Monica Vita. 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 Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I don't think that she clocked it, but... When Greg calls her out, she processes everything that he says. Yeah. So she's like not obscure. She's she's also the one who's been having these visions, right? Where mm-hmm. she's like connecting with the um, heads in the room and like the volcano she had a premonition about. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Anyway. So in the first episode, your theory is that Greg was trying, is going to have her killed, right? Something along those lines. Why was he so upset that Portia was there? It doesn't make Uh sense how upset and how much he wants her gone and why he wouldn't say, oh, just have her stay. Don't 
just send her away then. Like, yeah. not send her home. But he's like, I want her on a plane home. Yeah. You want her out. I wouldn't say that that's totally off the table. I think that still probably makes sense, especially him expressing how much control and power she knows she he knows she has in the relationship because of money and all that. The prenup. Prenup and all that. Um, but I feel like by the end of the episode, you get a little bit more, it, it feels, it's starting to feel a little bit more like he's maybe has a second family he has or a, a first family. family. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely has like, and they know about her. Right. Which to me, this is the one point that I really am curious what Mike White is doing with the story. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a guy who truly views Tanya as his, like, sugar mama, right, to fund his whole life and his second life, would you, I have to go home to see my real family? Like, that yeah. that to me doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. That he'd be like, I have to go away on business, and what's happening, like, to me... Something needs to have happened with the other family, or it doesn't make sense that he's so, he's so fri- like flippant about mm. this relationship. He's like, yeah, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just gonna come see you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've had it. enough of this woman. <laughs> I know mean, she slurped a noodle. She yeah. swallowed some bugs. I'm, I'm coming to see you. Like that yeah. doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? So I'm interested to see like what what. He does, or is he building a greater narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Is he trying to create, like, an, an alibi for himself? You know, mm-hmm. oh, I had this trip, and I couldn't have been there when the hitman came to push her down the stairs, but she pushed him down the stairs, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, or whatever. I don't know. Um, And then we have Lucia and Mia, who, not, not, uh, admittedly, I was running out of time on my notes, so I just wrote down threesome. <laughs> That's all I remember from them from this episode. The Dominic lets them puts them on the rooms, which is a great interaction with him and Valentina and the and Lucia and Mia. And so then they have access to the hotel. They go out and like spend the day on his dime. Right? He's charging the room for everything. Right. And um, that's kind of it. Not not too much more into that dynamic, yeah, like, do, I feel do like. Do hotel stores have good clothes? Like, I, I can't imagine going and buying awesome, expensive clothes at a hotel. Yeah. Apparently in Sicily. And then Valentina, also not too much in this uh, episode. You're also forgetting the, the piano scene where the, one of them Yeah, I mean, she sings, sings on the piano and she's a good singer. Blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Boring. Uh, but the threesome. Uh, so Valentina, yeah, not much else in the episode. And that's kind of it. Um, there was a comment on the episode discussion thread that I thought was really interesting that I wanted to read. Uh, this is in a reply to... Now that Lupmia and Lucia are guests, they could be among the dead guests that were discussed in episode one's flash forward. Mm-hmm. And then somebody replied, 
Remember, Mike White's deal with the White Lotus is that it's about wealthy privilege. The elites don't die, just the poor. The wealthy always come out just fine, and the lower class gets shafted. Uh, look at the people who got shafted in season one. Armand, Kai, and Belinda. Oh, yeah. and one more thing. The wealthy adjacent people don't end up in a super bad place. Not dead or in jail or cut off for money. But they don't come out as well as the truly wealthy. In season one, look at Rachel and Paula. So for season two, those folks are Portia and possibly Greg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's interesting to talk about the parallels. Like the the big twist of season one, too, was the married into rich woman stays with the toxic man at the end. Mm-hmm. That she just accepts her life. Right. And now if you're looking at a parallel, you have that same question being asked of Harper and Ethan. And are they going to accept their roles or are they going to... deny them and if they deny their roles as counterparts to Daphne and Cameron are they then going to suffer the consequences and die for it Mm -hmm. are you not part of the rich then you die like the poor you know what I mean it seems like that could be you know it goes back to the stuff that you feel like is a joke until you realize like this this is actually the way that works right you have these rich um, like Skull and Bones, like Yale, Harvard groups. What are they called? For they're not strictly fraternities; they're like secret organizations, mm-hmm. right? And part of what you hear being done in those is that the rich people have ceremonies that represent their ownership over the poor. That that is what a lot of those secret societies' rituals are built around is exploiting the poor and being welcomed into that that reality. That it's not something that is a accidental byproduct of extreme wealth and success. Mm. That is something built in that the rich and the wealthy and the super powerful enter into with clear eyes about. Mm-hmm. And you you have that sense here that it could be Cameron and Daphne building up to a like ceremony welcoming in the new rich, which is like, Hey, we, we captured a poor. Mm-hmm. Now you get to stab them. <laughs> right. <laughs> when you stab them, you enter into the sacred yeah. pact of the universe. Right. That you are given access to the rights of the rich, mm-hmm. right. To, to have ownership over these poor. <clears throat> Again, not saying that Mike White or, like that would literally happen, but on a figurative level, that that could be a basis for killings or death is rich people enacting their will over the poor. Um, and you could see that being set up in in Mia mm-hmm. and Lu- Lu- Lucia, Lu- Lucia, Lucia. So yeah, maybe they're the victims and the rich people. So Cameron, Cameron Daphne, perpetrators of the murders against Mia and Lucia. That's my call right now. Episode two. Okay. I'm putting it all on the line, Justin. Yeah. Okie dokie.
you see the video? Did you see the video? One of the Trump guys, Mastriano, I want to say. Uh-huh. Doug? Doug. They played a... I saw on Twitter somebody was like, the Mastriano concession or like the end of the Mastriano party. Uh-huh. And they were like, sound on. So I put it on and I turned off the sound. And that's playing. Well, it's like everybody is really miserable. It's like an empty house. He's like, da, 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 that's great. Yeah. All right. All right. Bye bye. 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 Bye b